Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, powered by SpannersReady.com, bringing you F1 blogs, reviews, podcasts, and occasionally news. Today's episode is called None Shall Pass. Joining me today is the only reason I can do a Formula One podcast at all, because he actually knows what he's talking about. He's the fantastic... Spanners and his friend Trumpets talking through the podcast, laughing back and forth at what the Udden has to say. Reminiscing this and that, having such a good time. Oodle lolly, golly, what a day. It's Matt. Two Trumpets. How's it going, old man? See, I flatter you. I flatter you and treat you as an honored guest in my podcasting home. Hey, Spanners. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. I was, I'm a bit bored. No F1. I've not had a holiday like you. Oh, well, that's too bad because it's fantastic to lie on the beach with copious quantities of alcohol and nothing better to do. You're making me jealous. All I've had is screaming children and a wife demanding I take my precious holiday to look after these inconvenient children. Yes, they can be rather inconvenient, can't they? But despite no F1, we've had a string of fantastic F1 shows over the summer. We kicked the summer off being joined by Will Buxton. Uh, we had the fantastic Matt Summerfield, uh, Summers F1, who, who we've come to take for granted. Now, haven't we, Matt, to have such a big tech analyst from motorsport.com on the show? Yes, I know. I, I do like the ability that we can take him slightly for granted, although personally I don't, because every time he's on, I learn something new. Now, I hope he I hope he didn't hear that. But but the ambition we set out, you and I, was simply for progression. And uh, and this summer has been very good for us. Uh, so I'm a happy podcast producer. Uh, the show seems to have grown way beyond expectation. But, you know, it can just it can be so lonely starting a new show and just shouting into the void of the Internet saying, you know, please, please listen to what I've recorded in my shed. I will see you say lonely. I think peaceful. But OK. So for those of you just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted by SpannersReady.com, the home of Dad Hub podcast, F1 articles, and very shortly, Formula E stuff. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. 
we might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work, so we're keeping it clean. You can play this in the background, at work, with kids in the car, and you will be safe from being told off by your wife. Uh, two guests joining us today. First off, the much-missed Vortex Mortio. It's been so long, Ken. Something we said. No, absolutely not. I just I have a new gig and uh, been kind of busy and hectic and... Um... Spousal unit number one has been asking for more weekend time, so it's just oh. life is all, but I miss you guys. Make sure your next wife is less demanding, as I am ensuring my next wife is Scandinavian. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> Pretty wise words from a young guy, if I may say. I hope the wife uh, doesn't listen. It didn't work out so well for Tiger Woods, though, I'm just saying. Moving on. Uh, sure, we have to put allegedly in there somewhere. And the fourth <laughs> member of our panel today, extremely lucky to continue our great run of panelists, of guests, is Race of Champions star Bradley Philpot. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us, Bradley. No problem. Good evening, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, you were being super humble beforehand, but you are you are much respected by the Mist Apex crew uh, as armchair race fans who occasionally go karting. To have someone on that goes out there and and mixes it with the very best, it's a real honour for us. Well, thank you very much, and uh, I'll do my very best to contribute well to the show. See, you're best known uh, to to many people as the star of the Race of Champions. Do you mind regaling our listeners with the tale of how you ended up against some of the most famous racers in the world? Yeah, uh, no problem. So it was basically a uh, a competition that Rock hosted uh, called Rock Factor um, to get a <laughs> a no-name driver to compete against the, the normal guys, um, all, the, all the stars. And you essentially had to send them a video, which then got voted on by the public to see who would get through to the final. Um, it was a video supposed to be demonstrating your driving prowess, I think. It was, was, it just like on, was it on the A1, just like showing a successful overtake? Or? <laughs> um, I fortunately have a a reasonably well-populated YouTube channel um, that I've filled with stuff, mainly for my own reference, um, just so I can look back on it when I'm old and um, and see, wow, that was Legacy. cool stuff I used to get to yeah. do. Um, and so I just did a bit of a montage of that kind of stuff, you know, doing some donuts and doing some um, driving in various cars. And that, that got me into the 10 final videos, which were then voted on. Um, and uh, I have to say, it was after a lot of work, as in a lot of canvassing, like it was like being a politician for a few weeks, um, I managed to uh, get enough votes. I think it was something like 35,000 votes um, wow. I got, uh, which was to get into the final two. Um, a, a chap called Des Foley, who's a Formula V racer from Ireland, he was the, the other driver. And we then had a head-to-head shootout the day before uh, the Race of Champions kicked off in the Olympic Stadium. We didn't really know what to expect, but we were... Uh, basically popped into a, an aerial atom each and we had to set a couple of times oh they're, wow they're fun though they look fun those things they are i mean i've driven better cars but they they're fun they're fine um they did the job and we had to basically drive around a little auto test course and not hit things um and get around as quick as you could i think we had a couple of practice runs and then two main runs and they added the times together uh, and i was fastest in both uh, so i got i got the nod basically i got the place and then they threw it uh, well they kind of uh, let us know after that that um, Lorenzo had dropped out due to injury. I, I think he'd hurt himself in a bar or something. And then, so that meant I was actually taking part in the main event, not wow. just the skills challenge, which was the original plan. So oh. that was the story up until the event. Uh, so I have a question. Uh, you said they wanted you to avoid things when you did this uh, race. So there were there were cones out. It was like a, a lot of bollards and things. You had to go around. I mean, it's all on YouTube, actually. You can You can watch the whole thing back, but you effectively had to... 
do a standing start, go around a lot of obstacles, um, you know, stop in a box, do a donut, do a slalom, um, handbrake turns, all that kind of stuff, and get back to the start in the quickest time possible. See, right, right. See, see, as, as a spectator, I'm always confused when they want you to avoid collisions because that always seems to be the thing everybody stands up and screams about. It's not NASCAR, Matt. Get your head out of the gutter. Take that vest on and put on a shirt. Uh, see, having a real racing driver uh, on here is suddenly very intimidating because I find myself very often drawing on, well, that car that I've, I've driven that on a video game. <laughs> and that's where I'm referencing the Atom gone. Oh, that's fun to drive on a video game. Uh, so we feel completely swamped by your genuine experience. Um, um, they're normally quite accurate, video games nowadays. So I'm sure you've got quite a good idea of what they feel like to drive. I've actually sat next to many people um, to instruct them on circuit who having done 20 minutes of driving or so and I've asked them so what exactly do you race they've just told me no no I just do iRacing and you're like really this guy has learned all this from iRacing um, so as long as you can block out the fear um, you know that it actually can hurt you if it goes wrong and just rely on on the driving that you've learned from the sim provided it's an accurate enough sim and you've got a, a decent wheel and stuff then it actually translates really well a lot of the time so, so hang on. You actually instruct people how to drive fast then, yes? Yeah, that's my day job. So for the last 10 years, I've sat next to people most days and told them how to go faster. So so what would it take to get you in a car next to Spanners and report back to us exactly <laughs> how bad he really is? I would be more than happy to do that, um, although I don't have a car to provide for that. Um, so. Oh, he, he's got he's got a Peugeot. He's happy to win a Peugeot two thousand and eight. Yeah, so uh, yeah, there's a bit of a bit of, a, a bit of a, what do you call it? Um, where it swishes from side to side around the corners. Apart That's from the that, technical term we use as well. Yeah, I, I figured that. So so you're basically <laughs> confirming. <laughs> I wish I could have predicted that this would somehow turn back against me. So yeah, that was the question I was going to ask because apart from that, uh, you you are a, a driver with Peugeot yourself, aren't you? Um, not currently contracted, um, but uh, up until really this year when we did the Silverstone 24 Hours and won our class, uh, came fourth overall. Uh, that was the last thing I did with Peugeot. Um, I guess I'm still technically a brand ambassador uh, for the for the GTI range of cars. So a massive geek. I can tell you anything you want to know about GTI Peugeots. And anytime they need someone, uh, a British driver, to do kind of promotional events, driving, I've been in a couple of adverts and that kind of thing, um, and they often call on me. Um, but I'm not kind of, I'm not being paid to drive for Peugeot or, or have any kind of racing lined up with them. At the moment. So was that relationship as a result of the race of champions exposure? No. So that was a totally different thing. Three years ago, um, I entered a Facebook competition to, it basically said, do you want to race in the Nürburgring 24 hours? And I clicked yes or like, or whatever it was. Um, and yes, went <laughs> through to the, um, it was like the national final. First of all, you had to have an international race license. Um, and if you, uh, set the fastest uh, one of the fastest five times on a one lap shootout in a Peugeot 208 1.4 liter VTI I think it was a really slow one uh, then you got through to the international final so 400 international race license holders turned up um, I came second just behind Nigel Moore but I think it was a couple of tenths behind um, and it was all electronically timed it was all transponders and stuff and you couldn't cut the corners or anything so I went through to the national uh, international final in France at a track none of us had ever heard of called La Ferte Gaucher where drivers from all the different countries, eight different countries taking part, were were there to compete. You essentially had to beat the other four people from your country because one driver from each country would get the drive. They had two cars of four drivers to um, to fill. Um, and I won every event for the UK um, and got the drive. So 
that was that that was in 2013 so that's how i ended up um getting a relationship with peugeot uh, becoming so, a brand ambassador and also racing at the nurburgring that's so how that we're getting the, we're getting the impression that you're pretty handy uh fortis 91 in the chat room is saying ask brad if he could teach rosberg to turn right um we're gonna get onto that shortly <laughs> but i think for the most part he turns right um eventually enough, actually <laughs> uh, i've seen in general there's still more than a car's width left to the edge of the track when he turns right so i wouldn't pull him up on that too badly just Ooh, yet, a foreshadow a foreshadowing of future events yes, uh, catman yes. catman f1 says i got my butt handed to me karting against mr philpot and piers Pryor in the race to reality competition that's uh chris turner Yes, Piers beat me in that, actually. I came second in Race to Reality. That was a competition um, held by a uh, simulator centre um, down in Sussex, I think, and also uh, Carlin, Formula 3 team. Yeah, uh, Piers beat me and took that F3 drive, but he is a super talented guy, so I don't hold it against him. Uh, if we've got time later, we might talk about what's involved in getting an international licence. This is what the... Sorry, excuse me, Brad, I don't know if I explained. We have a live chat room who's firing firing questions at us. It's great. Fire uh, them away. And uh, and he's also saying good luck to Spanners on that Scandinavian wife quest. They're very tall. That, that's the only problem. They're very they're very tall. So if you'll indulge us, indulge us a bit longer, we're all very curious about what it was actually like in the Race of Champions competition. Obviously, you got very up close and personal with people we see as gladiators of the F1 arena. So, so how did you find it really mixing it with celebrities, essentially? Um, it was it was fun. Um, it it wasn't as overawing as it probably would be for a lot of people because over the last 10 years I've met a lot of uh, F1 drivers and um, you know top race drivers in my day job um, but even just this year I had Daniel Ricciardo and Daniel Kvyat coming down to the circuit I work out to do kind of a team building exercise with some of their mechanics so Ooh, awkward. Uh, we, yeah. we meet these kind of guys quite often. Um, Hang on so, when, would, uh, when was that that you met Kvyat? Um, that was just a few weeks, actually, before he got moved what to the other you, team. What did you do, Bradley? What did you say Whoa. to him? I, I wasn't with, with Kvyat, actually. I was with Ricardo. He was uh, because I knew him from Race of Champions at that point. Uh-huh. We spent a day or two together. Um, I was kind of nominated to go with him. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Daniel seemed quite fine on that day. Um, he, was, he was cool. But anyway, so yeah, the it wasn't really... A case of being starstruck by those guys. I was just—I really wanted to beat them. Um, <laughs> it was—it was just another competition for me. But and especially when it's really a one-shot deal, you're not going to get invited no. back to the race of champions. So, and, um, and and beat them, you did. Uh, especially in the skills competition where you took apart a certain uh, Sebastian Vettel. How how did that feel? And if you don't mind the interviewing, we we've mugged you with a bit of an interview, uh, really. And uh, and how did he react? No, it's fine. Don't worry about the interviewing. It's fine. Uh, all race drivers love talking about themselves. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. So it, it felt it felt good, but it was very unexpected that it even happened because to begin with, the first thing that I won an entry into was something called the Celebrity Skills Challenge, which was effectively a lot, a lot of sports people and TV stars um, who were doing this little skills course in the Atoms. And and I obviously should have beaten them all hands down, which I did. Chris Hoy was there as well. He was really the only competition, but even he was kind of 10, 15 seconds slower. Um, and oh. uh, it, then Sebastian Vettel kind of, he was obviously hanging around the dressing room and they were like, come on, Seb, why don't you come and have a go at this? And so suddenly he was wheeled out in front of everyone. And I thought, okay, this won't probably be quite as easy to win anymore. Um, <laughs> I've heard of this guy. But but the time was quick enough to beat him, so that was fine. And then the next day, we did the skills challenge again with all the drivers 
competing in the race of champions, which is obviously a much uh, tougher deal. Um, They'd also been practicing this a lot. So it wasn't like they just turned up and had a go. When I arrived on the Thursday (laughs) of the event, they were all already practicing when I got there, you know, just going round and round. So, so that was obviously going to be, be a bit tougher. Um, but to my surprise, uh, most of them just fluffed it up. They spun or stalled or couldn't do a donut or hit a cone or something. So I en- it ended up being between uh, Petter Solberg, who's obviously very good at that kind of thing, sliding a car around, um, Alex Buncombe, who's um, you know, a Blancpain driver with Nissan, and me. We were the top three in that. Um, I was, I think, I missed out by a tenth and a half on the overall win in the in the skills challenge um, with those guys. But Vettel was then behind me, and then. Asser and Button, you know, everyone else was behind me. All, all the really big names yeah. were behind, so I was quite happy. A podium and that was fine. And I was obviously trying to be, you've got to have a, a little bit of caution because I knew I had the pace to beat most of those guys yeah. anyway. Um, you just didn't want to throw it away with a silly mistake, you know, clip a cone and get a five-second five, pe- five second penalty or something. So and it's, it's easy to say that with these F1 guys, it's not their day job, but I cannot imagine for a second that they don't, every time they stick the helmet on, they are determined to be the best out there. I would feel the same in any kind of car you get thrown into, even if you're not, even if you shouldn't necessarily be brilliant in it, you've not had a lot of practice. If you're one of the top drivers in the world, you you should probably expect to adapt to it very quickly. And obviously a lot of the guys do. I was quite surprised that even after, you know, lots of practice runs, a lot of the guys were still struggling to, you know, to, yeah. well, first of all, to do a handbrake turn or a donut, all that kind of thing. Things that a lot of, you know, race drivers would just take for granted. I mean, you can actually watch it all on YouTube. On Race of Champions channel, you can type in any of the drivers who took part and skills challenge. You can just watch their run. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, like you say, it's not, they're very finely honed to driving Formula One cars. And I'm sure if I jumped in a Formula One car, <laughs> I'd get my ass handed to me instantly. So that's just how it, how it is. Um, but yeah, it was, it was useful that, um, that it went well. Right. So I just got to ask two more questions. One is who, surprised you by struggling the most and two how did Vettel actually take losing to you two days in a row um okay who struggled the most um I don't I don't want to be unfair no do it pick out anyone in particular that's totally the point of this show probably Susie Wolf was the worst she was she was quite bad um lovely lady can't do a donut um most of the f1 guys struggled a bit uh massa was was a bit dodgy as well um he's only four foot leave him alone yeah yeah i'm sure that's what it was um but it's funny the guys who the non-single seater guys plato was excellent um he didn't beat me in in that one but he was very quick on the practice uh the day before um and and who else uh, yeah and obviously solberg and bunkham they're just really good all-rounders so they picked it up very quickly uh, d wilson in the chat room is saying was jensen button there if so did he complain about a lack of grip uh, MG59 is saying, didn't Alonso say uh, he raced in carts against some guys more talented than the F1 field? Well, he says a lot of things, uh, to be fair. Bradley, this has been uh, very, very generous of you to share your time talking about that experience. Tell you what, let's move on to the topic this week, which is the rules of engagement in Formula One. As you guys are well aware, normally I make up my opinion about the rules of engagement based on what Lewis Hamilton did in the latest crash. But let's stop that now. Let's stop that rot and the correct accusations of my bias. Let's establish what we think the rules of overtaking in F1 are, compare them to some of the recent events in Formula 1, and then maybe we'll have a little chat about whether Formula 1 should be in the Olympics. Then I've got a spa quiz. Uh, We definitely don't have time for all of that. 
and we're going to chat to a couple of guys. Wow, it's a packed show. Thank you very much to the chat. Remember, you can call in on a phone number that I'll tell you right now. You can call in on 0115-888-APEX. How radio is that that I made the phone number spell part of the name of the show? The General Rules of Engagement show is brought to you by a special little racing fan called Jude, who is H3, and he's a big, big racing fan. Your dad, Patrick Green, told me all about you via Patreon, Jude, and that you're a big Lewis Hamilton fan. Do you know what? Me too. It's great to see you, even all the way in the USA, being a great Formula One fan. Remember to always keep your dad company during races, and whatever anyone says... It's okay to yell at the TV when Rosberg takes Hamilton out. Patrick was kind enough to support us on Patreon. If you would like to do the same and keep the lights on at the Missed Apex podcasting shed, why not go to SpannersReady.com, click the Contact Us tab, and the details of Patreon uh, are on there. Micropayments are very, very much appreciated. Okay, that's the simple bit of the show out of the way. Got a bit of background noise, possibly from Bradley there, just... Uh, Sorry, I was just getting involved with the chat room, actually. I oh, right, yeah, no, I can, microphone, so I can I'm hear you typing. <laughs> can oh, I no. just say something? Yeah, no, we carry on. Carry so, on. Rule, rules of engagement is quite a, a topic close to my heart and appropriate for today because um, it, just on the other meaning of engagement, um, normally <sighs> when you propose to someone, they they kind of say yes or no on the day. Yeah. Um, but after about two weeks, my girlfriend said yes to me today. So that, that's something which wow. broke the rules of engagement. Whoa, there we go. Yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations to Bradley Philpot. You've enjoyed your youth. You've enjoyed your life. And now it is truly over. Congratulations, sir. That's You just got that news today. Well, yeah, that was just um, just this afternoon, sir. Oh, um, fantastic. She told me to kind of not make it massively public. She wanted to kind of tell people herself and everything. So that, this is probably the wrong um, forum it's to okay. make that public. Nobody really listens to this podcast, so Oops. not to worry. You haven't violated that at all. No, I made okay, out like fine. we were super popular to get him on. You're ruining everything, Ken. Uh, well, <laughs> she's got until about <laughs> midnight tonight then to uh, to get that news out. Congratulations. Uh, delay uh, procreating as long as possible. It's an awful, awful experience that no one should go through it's okay that's not happening um anyway sorry continue with the show <laughs> no no congratulations oh, oh you poor deluded soul <laughs> <laughs> as if it's up to you as if it's up to you uh okay so this is going to get confusing this show because because there's so many vagaries there's so many different opinions there's so many things to remember sporting regulations the spirit of of the sporting regulations, the historical interpretation of those regulations and the vagaries of stewarding. So let's just start with what will get your rear end whooped uh, by the stewards uh, in, after, is it 38.1 of the sporting regs, Max? Uh, Matt, you've quoted How there. amazing that you could remember that without having it written down for you in a Google document. Dude, why do you think you're here? Because you're handsome? <laughs> no, you're, you and Ken are here because you know stuff. Same with Chris, same with Catman, same with all those guys. Uh, I, I just, it's my football. I own the studio. So. <laughs> yeah, but, but let's face it, you're, you're not going to, you're not, you're not going to have a, an investigation unless you're called before the stewards. No, that's true. You haven't broken a rule until that happens. So the things that get you dragged to the stewards are causing a collision, forcing a driver off the track, illegitimately preventing a legitimate overtaking manoeuvre by another driver, illegitimately 
impeding another driver during overtaking unless it was completely clear that a driver was in breach of any of the above during that incident. See, and this is already my problem. Like, uh, for example, in F, it was illegitimately prevented a legitimate overtaking maneuver. Yeah. But in the next one, it's just overtaking. It's not legitimate overtaking. Already we have a discrepancy that could be exploited. But anyway, continue. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So so the first question is that we're going to explore because uh, this reminds me a lot of when I was a kid and we had those You Are the Referee books um, where you would be given a situation and asked to judge on it. So the first question is, where is the edge of the track? Track limits has been a hot topic. Is it one's cars, one car's width with the outer wheels on the white line? Or, or what is it? Bradley, is that is that a question you can answer definitively in F1? Yeah, I think so. What is uh, on the track and what is off the track? I mean, I know it's enforced differently depending on the stewards and, and how they feel, but the the actual track limits, as far as I'm aware of them, and certainly how I teach people if we're talking about Formula One is... Um, the track limits are defined by the white lines on either side of the track and you're allowed to use um, all of the track including the white line in much the same way as when you look at Hawkeye in tennis Uh, if the ball is touching the white line a tiny bit um, that's the same with a Formula 1 tyre if your tyre is hanging on to the edge of the white line even the outer edge of the white line with your inside tyre even if the rest of the car is fully off the track, then that's fine. You're still in effectively. So you could be, unless that's, unless otherwise specified. I don't know whether the, the guys who have a, a greater technical knowledge of the rules can correct me on that. But that's certainly my understanding of it. I know sometimes they're allowed to actually go fully outside of that. And at the last race, I think they were allowed to, they were going to get away with it as long as they even stayed on the curb. But the actual rule, as far as I understand it, is a bit like tennis. You know, if, as long as you're touching the white line, you're okay. Is that right? <laughs> Uh, Matt yeah, was, no, I on, think that's on, absolutely right. And and I'll just jump in and say, um, I, I think, though, that one thing that you touched upon that's super important is that is the enforcement of that. And and one thing that would be interesting and, and I see it, I put on a helmet on a few occasions and and the way that the enforcement tends to go is if you're if you're gaining time, that's something that the stewards may or the, the uh, race director, Mr. Whiting, will say, we're going to, this turn, you can't do, you can't abuse the track limits because you'll gain, um, but they'll let the track limits be abused elsewhere because there's no um, apparent time gain that can be used by running extra wide on some turns. And I was wondering if you wanted to touch upon that. Does that make sense to you, the way that the rules are enforced in general currently? Or what are your thoughts? Um, I I think that's really annoying and terrible. That I don't see why, if if you don't gain time by running off the track at a certain point, and it's not just a one-off mistake, why not enforce it? Like Why, why would you... I don't understand why there's different rules for different parts of the track. Uh, You know, if that's the case and you're happy for people to run out really wide at that point, then just draw the white line wider. That's what you want people to do. But if not, why, why would a driver be consistently going off at that point if it wasn't gaining them time? Martin Brundle says it often. If you put a wall there, put a concrete wall there, they wouldn't go out there. So it must be gaining time in some way, you know, even if it just means that you're able to just relax a bit at that, point on the track it means you can get away with a mistake at that point on the track you're still gaining time because if you didn't allow yourself to make that mistake you'd have to be slowing down slightly more to stay on the track so 
either enforce it or don't enforce it. And and obviously, I definitely would advocate enforcing it. I just don't see what the point of having some areas that you're allowed to go fully off the track is. I, I don't know whether the other guys have a, an opinion on that. It just seems silly to me. Yeah, well, it seems like to me, well, there are two things. First of all, we are current discussion. It seems like to me that the practical application of this is that they sit down in a driver's meeting and they identify corners where everyone feels like a ridiculous advantage could be gained if you were to go off track. And then they police that corner or corners fairly closely. But that, in my opinion, due to a lack of people power, they simply can't enforce much like, say, the speed limit in any country in which I've ever driven. <laughs> they yeah. can't enforce every meter of road effectively. Okay, so, so sorry so, to interject. So, I, yeah. I completely take your point there. Like if it's a case of, um, if it's a case of manpower physically not being able to monitor it uh, adequately with the people you've got involved, that's fine. But I still think that's a terrible excuse because I work at a circuit where we have nobody monitoring the um, the track limits yet. Anytime someone goes four wheels off the track, they get an automatic penalty because we have a very simple system where the car knows if it's all four wheels off the track. You just have sensors at the side of the track. Yeah. You know, you set the sensors at a point where if the car is all four wheels off, then you're going to get a penalty. It all happens automatically. Little penalty flag comes up next to their name on the live timing. Nobody can cheat anywhere on the track. So if we can do that at a corporate day, why on earth can't they do that at Formula One circuits? Like That just seems complete common sense to me. All right. Well, I'll reply to that because in in the Formula One regulations, there is specifically the matter of intent referenced in the rules. And we saw it when they installed the electronic sensors at the last race that several people got a warning for going off track, but they were actually pretty much sideways when they did it and definitely not gaining time. So I think the, the additional step that they take in Formula One that's causing them trouble is they try to ascertain the intent of the driver in being all four off at that particular point. That being said, an automated system is long overdue. Yeah, and cheap. I don't, I don't, I've heard the argument that, you know, it'd be too hard to implement, but it really isn't, it, especially when you talk about the amount of money in F1. Right. Well, but the thi- okay, go ahead, Ken. Well, I was just going to say, so So there was an article that came out a couple of weeks ago where Total Wolf was um, one of the things that he proposed is the same argument as to the track limits. He said, hey, well, why even have the stupid painted white line if you have miles of runoff to begin with? And then we wouldn't have be, be having this argument. Yeah, OK, if you don't mind, guys, uh Oh, Matt, you're going to say more on track limits when I was just about to say I think we've done enough on track limits. Well, well, I was going to wait till you moved on and then go back. But Curse you, the you revenge, because I did it to you no, on your no, hosting but I show. I want to go back because we started talking about where the edge of the track was. But this is not an argument that's really been explored fully. The edge of the track, if you were driving, yeah, is as long as I have half a millimeter of one of my tires on the white line, technically I'm still on track. Yeah. But if I'm being required to leave a car's width for the edge of the track, yeah, where is that car's width? Does it be, is it measured inside of the white line or is it measured outside of the white line? In other oh, words, that, do I have to a- leave space for a full car inside so it can be four wheels on? Or am I perfectly okay just leaving it one tiny little patch of white line 
to grip onto as I ruthlessly shove my way through an apex and take the lead. Okay, Which, of course, all that I would question. ever do if I was. A it's racer. a good question. That's a really, really good point that I've never heard discussed before, and it was only through kind of reading through the show notes this evening that 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 crossed my mind. As a driver, I think you consider yourself to have been run off the track the second your outside wheels are forced to go outside the white lines, which yeah. is obviously very different from when you're driving yeah. and you're trying to do a fast lap. Um, having said that, though, the points on the track where you would run most of the car outside of the white lines deliberately, um, generally, you wouldn't feel aggrieved to be run out onto that part. So what I mean, for example, if you if there's grass and a, so some curb and, a gra- and some grass and someone runs you out onto that and you've technically still got one tire touching the white line, but most of the car is off the track on the grass and the curb, you'd feel aggrieved at that because that's not a place you want to be all four wheels off the track. Does that make sense? You know, I wouldn't mind someone running me wide on a point where I'm actually going to go wide anyway. But if someone runs me wide onto a part which is actually a, a big disadvantage or could cause a spin or an accident or whatever you consider that being run off the track. Maybe that's why it doesn't come up very often because it's kind of, it kind I hate this word, this phrase common sense, but it kind of feels like common sense. You know, if you run someone off somewhere where they don't want to be off, that doesn't, that's not allowed. But I totally get the point though. You're yeah. saying you technically haven't actually run them off the track because yeah, they've still got but the legal requirement of tire on the track. Yeah. There's a lot of Being, tracks where the, there is no grass. <laughs> so, you know, it yeah. comes up on every turn. Yeah. But, but I think it, this, this is like very much like the 107% rule that, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago where you can go a long stretch without the, without the lack of definition or the contradiction being exposed. But when it does, it's going to create a huge controversy. You know, like hundred all the all those uh, cars missed the hundred seven percent rule because we had a wet to dry qualifying, and just in 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 session one, and it's a similar thing with this. It's not going to be controversial, but when it is controversial, it's going to wind up being very controversial. And this is a kind of thing that you would really expect the FIA to clarify at a certain point. Okay, uh, so and, and the clarification, Matt, is at what is a car's width? Then or no 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 I'm calling the I'm, edge of the track is the edge of the track measured from the outside wheel or the inside wheel right you already said that I'm calling time because I've got someone yeah. on the line that I want to talk to we've 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 kept him on the line a long time so appreciation to Alex and the chat room who actually sat through twenty minutes of technical difficulties it's a dark art uh, joining us on the line is a friend of the show Alex Van Geen can you hear us Alex I can indeed and it's okay the technical difficulties haven't aggrieved me but my wife is across the lounge. Keeps whinging because I said I'd be done by half past seven. So, <laughs> well, well, seven, well I'm safely so in my, I'm safely in my shed, so I can say with confidence, uh, just stand up to her, show her who's boss, etc. But I'm through a soundproof door, so. And you're lying, Alex. You recently competed in the British <laughs> Rental Karting Championships at Teesside, a 24-hour event. That sounds absolutely grueling. How did you and team corporate chauffeurs get on? Well, it was a tough year this year. I mean, we've been doing it since 2011, and Brad's been in my team for a couple of years. Um, but Sorry, guys. We've... Can I just, just to be really um, uh, kind of technical, the British Rental Car Championship is actually a championship I host in January. Um, so the event we raced in this weekend was the British 24-hour race, so just to, just to be... Um, just to make sure people don't get confused by that. That's Sorry, absolutely Alex. my fault. I beg your pardon, Bradley. Uh, but you competed in that as well, Bradley. You were in the same team as Alex. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so, Alex, Ooh, you let the side down. Uh, shots fired. No, he was very good. Yeah, we also had Piers Pryor in our team as well. So we did have quite a, 
a rapid team this year because there was five of us, which we um, we actually brought. Um, Brad was supposed to be racing for one of the owner teams, but due to issue, out. yeah, <laughs> pretty much, um, he uh, we we thought we'd be faster with him than without him. And to be fair, he, he, me and our team, our crew chief Luke, really helped us set everything up. So me and Brad kind of, me, Brad and Luke got the whole show running. So it was. Um, Help, help me understand some of the logistics of a 24-hour race. So you're, at what st- stint length do you do, and do you get any sleep? So the stint length you've got, you, you either have four or five people in a team is usually the way most of the team works. If anyone's got more than that, they generally tend not to do very well because the stints don't work. But you run as long as the fuel will allow you. So what you've got is you've got about an hour and somewhere between an hour and 30 and an hour and 45, depending on how good you are on your fuel we worked it out to an nth degree of when the best time is to get our amount of stints we wanted in which is a bit of a secret so i don't really want to work it out because Ooh. brad's given away brad's been giving away all of our um rule of engagement secrets about not things we shouldn't really be doing but and, and do his if fiance's get away with it <laughs> thanks for that bradley um and his fiance secrets as well yeah that's yeah um so uh, is there, is, is there ever a time where somebody's uh, lap times are, are running a little long and you think, well, maybe this stint doesn't have to quite go on as long as uh, the previous ones? Absolutely. That definitely does happen. <laughs> it really does. And it, did ha- and it did happen this year. It did happen this year with us. Um, but it's, it's one of those things. We all want to win. At the end of the day, we spend almost, what, best part of eight, nine months, Brad? planning for this race and talking about it to the nth degree we put a lot of effort in compared to from from my perception Ooh. we put a lot more effort in oh than, shots fired to the rest of the than, karting community than a lot of people do well we turn up with a massive awning we turn up in kit in, in team kit um and you know our, and we we've got we had a we had a um a, a catering caravan this year which is ridiculous considering there's a cafe at the track and we didn't use it once <laughs> but um, it's all about but, setting a good impression so do you get do you get to sleep in that 24 hours um normally i try and send everybody off for at least two hours at some point when they've kind of just come in from their stint or there's two people just coming from their stint i send them off for about two hours to try and get some sleep um i was in the middle of trying to get my two hours and then my crew chief came down very very sick and i had to take him to hospital and bear in mind halfway through the night brad had ran him around lots of different um, hosp- um hotels trying to get his head down for the night is was that luke was that young luke that was our, that was our young what guy. a lightweight <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say get well soon but i'm glad you've gone in that direction he's absolutely fine he, he's, he's, a, he's a drama queen as i told him earlier so, uh, Ken, uh, you were following the 24-hour race at Teesside. You were following the lap times live, weren't you? Yeah, a little bit because I've um, been in a similar situation where I've managed um, uh, some friends of mine in 12-hour races, very similar over here stateside. And so I have a high appreciation for what these guys um, did and what they've gone through and the planning that they've done. It's all it's yeah. a it's a difficult thing. And I have a quick question, actually, um, Alex or Bradley. And I was just curious if um, you had two teams there, uh, two carts that you were running. Uh, is there any intermixing as far as um, 
did you were you able to pull one driver into another or did you just in general if that's not allowed just help each other um with strategy under one tent how did that work out so the way we've always well when we first started doing it the first couple of years we just had one car but when you do rental karting which is what it is we hire the cart for the weekend you don't necessarily have full um grasp over the mechanics of the car and in our first couple of years of doing it we had quite a few breakdowns so my in my wisdom i thought i oh, don't you know what let's get a second team in um let's get a second team in and see if we can get people um, more people on board. And so, well, yeah, that was the case, that was the case this year. But um, what we good want... management, Alex. Nice one. Yeah, tell me about it. But what we actually don't do, we don't mix the teams. But what we also don't do is we don't put our four fastest drivers in one team because if that car has a breakdown, we've lost all our quickest drivers because you can't move them from one car to another. Okay. Uh, okay. We do we do all help out, so it functions as one team when you're in the pit stops, for example. You don't just have the guys from the number 11 car helping with their pit stops. Um, the nature of a 24-hour race means that it's very grueling. Obviously, while some people might be asleep at a certain point, people from the other team are filling in, and every it's all hands on deck at the pit stops and during any issues. You know, I, I completely lost track of which team it was I was even helping out at certain points. If I was running down to the mechanics bay to say, we've had an engine <laughs> blow or whatever... I can't even remember which car that was for. It was just for the team. It's only when you're kind of driving the car that you're specifically working for that cart and that team. Uh, Bradley, just a quick word on the quality of the field, because I'd imagine there's some guys there who've turned up, they get into their cart, they look across on the grid, and there's Bradley Philpot, and they just think, great. Um, I'm sure they're not too worried about me in particular, because there's there's a lot of drivers, you know, a large proportion of the field, who are all going to be almost the same... Uh, lap time in that kind of cart like not uh. to belittle the carts we're driving but obviously they are four stroke pro carts and there is um you have driven you know, them. there's yeah. a limit there's a limit to uh, how much difference you can make yeah uh, you know someone who is the best driver in the world and someone who is kind of 95 percent as good as they can possibly be they're probably going to do identical lap times so no one's gonna be particularly worried about me for example <laughs> um, and, and oh a lot i don't of people, know i bet they are there's a lot of people that have, um, you know, they know what they're doing. You've got lots of former Super 1 drivers or current Super 1 drivers or people who are just very experienced in those carts. Yeah, well, um, but there's, there's more to it than lap time, of course, uh, the skill of the actual racer. I'm sure there's a factor of intimidation, but I'd just like to go to Alex before before we hang up on him uh, and say you guys, your lap time, that's why I was asking Ken about him watching the lap times. Your lap times were good. The cart was looking strong, but ultimately... It was a mechanical failure. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking that you missed out on your goal. Well, yeah, after, after, winning, after winning it last year and being on the podium the year before, to have, we lost 22, on, in cart 22, we lost almost 22 laps, I think was the actual oh, end result ouch. after we went through all the maps. And you can't make that kind of gap up. And we finished 20 laps behind the leaders. I'm not saying we would have won, but that's don't like. Um, <laughs> but we definitely, number, definitely would have won. <laughs> and number 11 was about 11, 12 laps behind, yeah. and they were only 10 laps behind the leaders. So it's one of those things, and you talk about the lap times, and you talk about whether drivers are quick or not in those carts. But the thing is, what you actually look at is it's not necessarily what you can do on one outright lap. Is you've got some guys out there who will do as close to the maximum, the minimum lap time as possible, but they'll only do that one or two laps. 
the rest of the lap to be nowhere. It is. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's about being on that pace for the entirety of an hour and a half to two hours of a stint, which is blooming hard because towards the end of the very end of the race, I finished the race in the 22 and I had to do a splash and dash. So I ended up doing two hours, which I haven't done in a couple of years. And my neck was falling off. It was it was really, really tough. And I'm a, as you <laughs> How many hours straight did I do, Alex? Yeah, you did a double stint, but you're used to 24 hours. You can stop tooting your own trumpet. Wow, he's been to 11 a reef. (laughs) Um, Actually, before you hang up on me, I just want to bring up one thing. When you talk about Race of Champions and you asked Brad about how he was with regards to being starstruck and stuff, I was with him in the pits. I was starstruck. Yeah, I asked I would have Daniel Ricardo stupid questions, and <laughs> it was from a fan's point of view, yeah. every single one of you would have absolutely loved it. Yeah. But Brad was in the zone that entire week. Well, he's he's too cool for school as well. I had so. to I had to apologise to everyone. I was like, I'm really sorry about my friend. He's just you know he's seen you on the Formula One game. Did and you? He's like, he just he loves you. Did you do invert comments, <laughs> my friend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I don't know how we got in here. Apologies, Alex. Before you go, before you go, we want to. Shout out to the Missed Apex listeners in England and Britain and perhaps Europe if you're willing to travel. Uh, I've organised these kind of events before, but I would absolutely love in late September to get some sort of karting session, I think in Milton Keynes, going for Missed Apex contributors and listeners. But initially, I just want to gauge if anyone is interested. So if you are interested, and even if you already contacted me uh, from the tweets I sent earlier in the week, just get in contact with me in some way at MistapexF1, at SpannersReady on Twitter, or you can email me SpannersReady at gmail.com. Uh, find us at Missed Apex Podcast Facebook group. Oh, see, I'm getting all the contact things out of the way at the same time. Let me know in some way that you would be interested in a late September karting event. And, and if I get a flood of people interested enough to fill a grid, I will go ahead and 
and make that happen. Alex, you're in for that, aren't you? Uh, 100%, especially, especially if we're playing on Daytona Milton Keynes, because I love that place. It's a cracking circuit. I think Brad knows that place just as well as I do. So um, I think Brad will come down as well. When we got, we can we, we can probably convince a few of our few of our um, uh, our mates to come down and. It would be amazing. It would be amazing to see how I fare against people who are like proper racy people, because on stag dues and work dues, I fare pretty well. So I'm very confident going into that scenario. Well, that sounds good because there was a guy in your um in your in the group who said um, rental carts sound tame, um, are generally quite tame. I definitely challenge him to coming round and seeing if he can beat the likes of Brad and Piers and all those boys. Me, I'm easy. I'm fat, so it's different for me. No, 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 no. Nearly, nearly not fat. I think we agreed. Yes, we did agree on that. Yeah, same, same My as me. My favourite phrase of yours. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. I'm going to hang up on you now. We'll see Thanks, you back guys. on Missed Apex soon. Thanks. Take it, mate. Oh, I meant to get him to plug his sponsors for the thing. Bradley, I can do you, that yeah, Bradley, got. go on quickly. Plug your sponsors of Team Corporate Chauffeur. Okay, so we've got um, OP Oils. Um, we've got Simply Race is, is a really big one. Um, yeah, the, the Sim Racers. The Centre um, in Milton Keynes. Um, also very near Daytona that you were talking about going to. So maybe pop down there for some uh, simulator driving as well. Um, who else were our sponsors? LJR, um, Luke Jones Racing. He's uh, Luke was our crew chief. Yeah, yeah. does all yeah, the organisation. Yeah. Media Sorry. guru Luke, yep. Alex is yeah. main sponsor for the team, team corporate chauffeurs. So. All right then. Uh, yeah, so if you're interested, you guys out there in, in podcast land, get in contact with me in any way. All I'm really looking for is enough interest for me to take the next step and get it booked. Uh, then I'll do a shout out uh, next week to tell you how I've done. Uh, in the meantime... Let's go on to the thing I really wanted to talk about, which was rules of overtaking. But here's a beat. From the mouth of Matt Trumpets, ushering us into rules of engagement on the straight. One of the most simple rules, Matt, is uh, the one one move rule on a straight. You cannot weave to block somebody. Yep, direct from Sporting Regulations, 27.6. More than one change of direction on a straight is called, is not permitted. Yeah. So, so. And actually, actually, did I say 27.6? Yes, 27.7. It's actually 27.7. Yeah. Any driver defending his position on a straight before any braking area may use the full width of the track during his first move, provided no significant portion of the car attempting to pass is alongside. So I was planning to go through these rules and then go to the separate incidents. We don't have time for that now. So we can uh, talk about the incidents as they're relevant because Spain, Spain, uh, I don't know if any of you recall, there was a slight coming together of Mercedes cars. uh, And in that situation, Rosberg very quickly came across the track, uh, which ended up in Lewis Hamilton off the grass. So how how do we feel? How do we feel that uh, Rosberg fared? Uh, in regards to the rules about defending on straight, I'm going to give the, my opinion Do it. from a driving point of view. Um, and obviously the other guys can feel free to pick me up on the technicalities because as we've discussed kind of in our, in our pre-show, but what the letter of the law says isn't necessarily what the drivers um, are going to do, um, depending on the situation. On this one, the best summary I've heard was actually uh, on a... It's like a race review that uh, a karting competitor of mine does. And he basically said, Hamilton's move, I would have done it. 
Rosberg's move. I would have done it racing into them. <laughs> like that's that's the way I saw that particular one. It was you could pick fault technically with Rosberg, I think, because Hamilton had a little bit of his front wing alongside the back Okay, of his let's car. do that. But it was all happening in such a split second, <laughs> he didn't yeah. have the benefit of a helicopter cam and a slow-mo to, to check that whilst it was happening. There so, is there is right. no way, right. sorry Ken, you can get in in a second, but there is absolutely no way Rosberg realised exactly whereabouts Hamilton had managed to get to. He probably had a feeling it would be close, uh, but yes, the, I mean the rules say, um, it's very vague. I don't know why they bother saying a significant portion of the car must be alongside for you to have to leave a car's width. When they then further clarify that a significant portion means any part of the car. So why not just say any part of the car alongside? Go on, Ken. Ken. Yeah, no, I was I was going to uh, I was going to add to what Bradley said because in general I I agree with him that it it at, from a race steward's point of view, I thought that was a racing incident and it happened very quick. But on the other hand, I think from a team manager's point of view, given that it was a fight between the two teammates, I I would think and I would kind of hope that Rosberg uh learned a hard lesson there in that that was to some degree, preventable if he had just given a little bit more room and been prepared for his own teammate. Uh, I don't, and I don't see that so much as an excuse that he wouldn't have been completely surprised. Uh, but say, so it's a racing incident from the steward's point of view. I certainly agree with that. And I have to take issue with spanners because it says, for the avoidance Gosh. of doubt, if any part of the front wing of the car attempting to pass is alongside the rear wheel of the car yeah. and that's just not any part of the car that's the front wing specifically there are bits of the car in i the challenge wing. you to get the steering wheel alongside without getting the front wing alongside it's at a minimum the front wing so if your front wing is alongside the rear wheel your car yeah. is considered to be alongside It's very one of the very few things that they were actually clear about a, but yeah as far as that incident goes yeah it, it was a racing incident Rosberg, I think, just had no clear idea how slow he was going because his engine had derated because, as we all mm. no doubt recall, yeah. he pushed the wrong button on the start line. Okay, so how would we have felt? Uh, and firstly, I want to say I did agree with Will Buxton when he said that once Lewis Hamilton was off the track, there was no way he was. He kept his foot right in there. And looking back on that incident again after Will Buxton said it, it was. It, I agree, hundred percent. He left his foot in. He went, "You naughty boy! You've pushed me off the track. Uh, you're coming down with me." Uh, but had Lewis Hamilton not jumped onto the grass to take evasive action, how would we have seen that incident? Because Rosberg would presumably have just taken his front wing off. Would, it, um, would that... That's for me. I think in general, I don't think he had a choice. I think he was just reacting you know, on instinct. I don't like using that term, but uh, <laughs> when, when someone moves across on you, like Rosberg moved across on Hamilton in that situation, I, I think it was always going to end up on the grass. Um, if Hamilton had purely slotted into that space, stayed fully on the tarmac, pressed up against the grass, and Rosberg had kept coming across and hit him, um, I think we would probably have blamed it more on Rosberg. I don't know. It's difficult. Rosberg would have probably ended up in the barrier. If he'd, if he'd moved across and Lewis had held his ground, it may have looked like Hamilton spun Rosberg round um, because it would yeah. have been a rear, a front to rear. Um, but it's it's tough. I'm just I'm kind of just speculating. Yeah, right. It, I, and and I think in general it would have been a very similar. Um, it would the 
to answer your question, I think our reaction would be pretty much the same, that it would still be a racing incident and that, um, and in my opinion, uh, the Mercedes team management would want to go over that and say, you know, this could have been prevented if the lead driver had just given a little more room. But I, I, so same, same opinion. Yeah, and it's important to note that how Mercedes treat their two drivers is way different than how the stewards treat the two drivers. If there had been that kind of contact, I think the stewards would have had to have investigated it uh, more clearly. But with Hamilton being out of control on the grass, it was it was always going to be a racing incident as far as they were concerned. Okay, bit of housekeeping then, because we are running short time because of our late start. I'm aware of uh, Bradley Bradley's time being precious. Uh, so what I would want to do is cover next uh, the braking zone, Max Verstappen, and then in the corners using Austria and Germany. So that's uh, Hamilton and Rosberg and Rosberg and Verstappen uh, uh, before then going to the quiz and getting out of here. But first... Oh, come on, you'll afford me these, won't you? Please consider visiting. Please consider visiting our affiliate partner, Cornerstone. Click the link on my homepage at spannersready.com. I have a box of Cornerstone razors in my house, and they're just as good as the very expensive branded five blade one that I've been shelling out for for a long, long time. Go to spannersready.com. On the homepage, there's a click where you get a thing off and a voucher for a what's it. And it's like a subscription thing. Works out very well. I can personally endorse it. I have not got that thick sort of Swedish hair, but I've got very, I've got very difficult and wispy hair in all different directions. And it does the job just fine. What did I say a second ago that I was going to go to? Oh, yes. In the braking zone. Matt, there's no rules. There's no actual rule in the braking zone. Everyone's been complaining about Max moving in the braking zone, but I couldn't find anything that says you can't do that. I, I, I love you for being wrong about everything, but now I have to go find all my notes. Um, <laughs> Bradley, how do you see the behavior generally of, of Max Verstappen? Because the, the F1 community is split. Is he reckless or a racer? Right, I think the reason people like him, or one of the reasons people are so fond of him at the moment, is because we like to see aggressive racing and we like to see people um, you know, really fighting for every position. Um I think I tend to agree with some of you guys in terms of I think he might have gone a bit too far uh, as a reactive, you know, moving reactively when he's trying to defend, um, whether that's in the braking zone or wherever, you know, looking at the mirrors and then making a move. Um, but as I've said to you guys earlier on, um, he's going to do whatever he can get away with. And that's what he's, you know, that's what you do in any series. And he's obviously very fresh out of other series, um, karting obviously. And, and he's just, He's driving, getting the best results he can, given the the stewarding and given the uh, you know the lack of penalising of those kind of moves. So, um, so basically, I I don't agree with the way he's uh, the way he sometimes um, acts, the way he sometimes moves late and that kind of thing. Um, and if I was in combat with him, I'd probably be annoyed about that and try and have a word with him about that. But, you know, assuming I could get anywhere near him, I'd be very happy actually with that. But, um, but yeah, he's going to do what he can do. He's going to do what he gets away with. And I think it comes down to, once again, it being policed properly. And, and if everyone's in agreement that you're not, you know, you're allowed to do a certain thing or you're not allowed to do another thing and you get penalised if you do 
you know penalised consistently. It's not it, so it's not different at every race like some of these things tend to be. Um, then that kind of thing will naturally iron itself out, and and he'll just he'll kind of fall in line a bit with what the other drivers deem acceptable. Uh, I'm sure he'll still be very good at whatever the whatever is deemed to be acceptable. But uh, yeah, I can see right now why some people aren't massively. Please. So he, like in particular. he can accept some uh, bars of soap in socks in the Red Bull motorhome if he goes too far, Matt? Yeah, well, it's uh, having found my copious notes. It's 27.8. Maneuvers liable to hinder other drivers, such as deliberate crowding of a car beyond the edge of the track, and this is the important bit, or any other abnormal change of direction are not permitted. Oh, unless we forget, lest we forget. He had done the same thing to Raikkonen, the, the race before, multiple times, ultimately resulting in the loss of Raikkonen's front wing. Hungry, and a yeah. really entertaining radio call <laughs> yeah. from Raikkonen to his team about the very poor driving standards. But, you know, if, if we're going to talk about that, we should look at it from the point of the rules. If you're a Rosberg person, it's 27.8. He moved late in the braking zone, which is, as I said, abnormal. And Rosberg took him to the edge. In this case, the edge being one of your wheels is still barely in contact with the white line. And it was actually Verstappen, who you can very clearly see, chose to go further outside of that, which technically would violate 27.4, make every reasonable effort to use the track at all times. It may not deliberately leave track without justifiable reason. So penalizing Rosberg under that viewpoint is just completely wrong. On the other hand, if you're a Max fan, and it turns out I think there might be one or two of them on the internet, I could be wrong, um, you, could, you could argue that Rosberg deliberately crowded him off the track by going so deep, and therefore he was the aggrieved party in a maneuver liable to hinder other drivers. It's too vague, though. It's too vague, Bradley. Why can't they? Surely it's not beyond the wit of man to make a rule about what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. It's it's very situation specific, isn't it? And I know yeah. it's a bit of a cop out. It's uh, I think you can get a lot closer to a consistent um, kind of consensus on this than we have at the moment. Um, but I still think there's always going to be a slight grey area because even if we were to say, okay, well, if you start kind of crowding them out on the exit of a corner, we tend to think that's okay. We then need to define exactly where the exit is. We need to define. Yeah. Um, you know, when you say he, that Verstappen chose to go further outside of the white lines than he had to, does that mean in order for Rosberg to be penalised, Verstappen would have had to literally stick to the side of Rosberg's car and leave a millimetres gap because technically Rosberg left him and the cars with, you know, it's, it, there's always going to be some interpretation there. And when you're a driver reacting to someone kind of, if you see them forcing you off the track, your natural reaction isn't to try and necessarily stick as close to them as possible. You might you might try and be safe and go a bit wider just to make sure they definitely don't hit you. It's a tough thing. It's, I'm not saying that's how I see this particular situation. I can totally see this one from both angles. Um, Are we talking about I, the Ger- Germany with I, Rosberg I, and Max? I'm talking about Germany, yeah, yeah into the hairpin. Um, when I watched this, I, I was in two minds. I thought, I wouldn't penalise that. I thought, that's, you know, they both live to fight another day. Um, Rosberg was in front and he drove him wide. It's kind of up to him to dictate where he places the car. All the while he's got a nose in front of the other car, provided he leaves a car's width to the edge of the track, which I think we can arguably might have done. Um, But I also thought to be consistent with how they penalised him in Austria, they probably should penalise him. Because I thought 
what he did in Germany was worse than what he did to Hamilton in Austria, which I don't know if we're going to get on to. We that, will. Don't you in, worry, Bradley. We will. In in that situation where I saw he did leave a car, a full car's width or, or more. Uh, anyway, so we'll get on to that in a minute. Well, I was just, you know what, let, let me just add on to that. I'm going to disagree with Bradley a little bit in, in regards to Germany and that, that um, contretemps between um, Rosberg and Max in that, what I, I mean, initially I had a similar reaction that um, I, I wouldn't have, I just would have said that's a racing incident. But then when I, I looked back in the braking zone, what I noticed is that uh, Rosberg had come in and he had um, he had a head of steam. He had a little bit more speed and he pulled out to make his maneuver. He goes offline. You see um, his uh, uh, DRS um, close. So he's um, starting to brake and Max reacts at that point. So Rosberg had already begun his braking. Um, and Max being on the racing line in part, having perhaps a little bit higher down force, maybe Summers F1 will correct me later on this, um, was able to, to brake a little bit later. And so he turned and then stood on the brakes. And so looking at, at the rules on this, going back to um, the great work here that uh, um, Mr. Trumpets has done, um, sudden changes of directions just before or within the braking zone are considered extremely dangerous. And and this one, in, in this case, you know, super talented drivers, Rosberg was able to avoid Max driving over. Max's line, I thought, is something else to consider, which is that he pointed his braking line toward the apex, which in some ways seems just like really smart because then you've got to totally outbreak him to go around him underneath him. But at the same time, because it was so late, uh, if I had been Emerson Fittipaldi, who was the driver's engineer or driver's uh, steward at that race, if I had seen that on replay, I would have leaned toward giving some sort of penalty to Max. And I think Max got away with that. And, and he had a lot of chutzpah to complain on the radio afterwards when Nico Rosberg was correct. And he said, hey, I got run off because I got run out of the braking zone by Max's late maneuver. Sorry, Matt, going to have to cut you off because this is what I've been waiting for all week. Bradley's going to have to go soon. So I'm hoping we can talk about this, do a quick quiz, say goodbye to you, Bradley, and then conclude the rest of our housekeeping. But we have one more racing incident to talk about. Austria 2016 uh, against the, the champion, the champion of Formula One, Lewis Hamilton versus some guy called Nico Rosberg. I I was fully of the mind uh, that Nico Rosberg took a lot of liberties, did not break in time, and Lewis Hamilton could not have been expected to turn at 90 degrees. Therefore, for me, it was a clear-cut case of deliberately running somebody off track. He didn't appear to lock his brakes. But Bradley, I fear, as someone that with a lot of experience and whom I respect, you are unfortunately going to disagree with me. So I just need to qualify this. Um, what I think the the rules say on this and how I look at this from a, a technically accurate point of view and how I feel, Ros, you know, whether or not I feel he did the right thing are two separate things. So I, not even in hindsight, you know, if it was happening now in real time and I'd not, I didn't know what the consequences were about to be, yeah. if I was Rosberg, I would have turned in a lot earlier. Um, I think it was the wrong decision to do what he did. 
But in terms of being penalised for what he did, I didn't tend to agree with that. And I'll try and explain. I know I'm, I'm in a real minority here, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try and just use facts because I'm not, this isn't an opinion thing. I can, I can oh, pause yeah, no. the video and look at freeze frames. Hamilton had a nose in front. Fair enough. He, in fact, probably more than a nose. He, he, was, he was slightly in front. Although Rosberg had the high ground, he was on the inside. He was always going to be, wherever he turned into the corner, he was always going to be first into the corner and probably come out ahead. It was a bit of a, a tall order for Hamilton to actually go all the way around him. It doesn't happen there. Um, but when Hamilton chose to turn in um, and Hamilton and Rosberg made contact, at that point, he wasn't at the edge of the track. There was a lot further to go uh, and I know it wouldn't have taken long because they're going very fast, but yeah. there was still a lot of track left before you could deem that Rosberg had run him out of track. Rosberg was going in a straight line, and people's position is, well, Rosberg just didn't turn, and I completely agree. And my point is, he doesn't have to until he's got to the point where right. he's run Hamilton off the track. And if we're going to the detail we did earlier on, where we say, actually, you can't be considered to have been run off the track until all four wheels have gone outside the white lines, then actually he had loads of margin. And I can totally see Rosberg's point when he was interviewed afterwards and he said, Hamilton just turned into me. Because as far as I'm concerned, if I'm the car on the inside with the high ground, if I'm not at the edge of the track yet, yeah. the car next to me can't drive through me. I'm dictating where we both go. <laughs> that, and until yeah. the point where I put you off the track, which hadn't happened yet, um, it's still my right to tell you where we're both going and you don't get to decide I'm going to drive through you. I think it was Mario Andretti, I might be wrong, who said, I'm there, man. You know, you can't, yeah. if a car is there, you don't get to drive through. So no, I know I'm in the minority. I'm going to have to pause to get, to, to get clarified two points and Matt's furiously waving, but no, I've been waiting for this all week. <laughs> no. Um, so you're saying that had, I mean, there's two things. Firstly, had Hamilton not turned in, you're saying he would have had grounds to have then run alongside him and demonstrated, yes, look, I was run off the track because Rosberg's trajectory would have brought him to the edge of the track. Uh, and the second thing is, are you discounting the fact that after they made contact, Rosberg did then continue to the edge of the track? Are you saying that everything after the contact doesn't count as him running him off the track? Yeah, I, I'd say after the contact what would have happened we can't look back yeah. on really because it's everything's changed um so but, uh, but, uh, what, what, what i mean I sorry let me clarify that after the contact they then end up in a position where rosberg is on the edge of the track with hamilton alongside and fully off the track that doesn't count then as forcing I think them off. then we're in a position of saying what would have happened oh, but, okay. we did, but my point is we were deprived of getting to see that because hamilton chose to turn in before they got to the edge of the track now i still i actually think had they continued up to the edge, yeah. he would have been run off the track. I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying what actually yeah. happened was Hamilton took the initiative to turn in but before isn't, we ever got to see... Isn't Hamilton and, entitled to try and stay on the track? Are you saying that it was down to him to take avoiding action to leave the track? Uh, no, he is entitled to try and stay on the track, but they hadn't got to the point yet where he uh. had to turn. That, that's my point. So I, I, I do agree that what Rosberg did was the wrong thing. I just don't agree that he should have been penalised for that because just because it was the wrong racing decision and as a driver, yeah. I would have definitely chosen to do something different. Um, I would have also chosen to do something different as the driver on the outside in that situation because I, I hate being in a situation where someone turns in on me 
obviously normally it happens when you're a lot closer to the apex. Rosberg was yeah. very far from the apex when it happened. He missed the, the apex. Is, the fact is that the track is wide. So you don't get to say, well, because the track is wide, we're going to just pretend that the edge of the track is a bit further in than it actually is. I was just, I'm just trying to deal with the facts. Of yeah, no, sure. haven't actually got to the edge yet. So, But do you I, agree I, that I would... Hamilton could not probably have turned any later and still kept it on the track? Do you think he'd left it as late as he could? I think, no, I think he could have definitely, no, no, he probably couldn't have turned a lot later and kept it on the track, but had that happened, had that situation played out and we got closer to the edge and then it turns out, yep, he's been run clean off the track by Rosberg, then I would be 100% in Hamilton's camp. The only reason I'm not 100%, the reason I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not backing Rosberg in this, I'm just (laughs) saying I'm not 100% in the camp that Hamilton is completely fine and Rosberg is 100% to blame. I think they both could have made slightly different decisions. Rosberg could have completely made a different decision and he probably won the race. Um, yeah, Bradley, yeah. Though, yeah. I'm so surprised. Let me, just one quick thing. I'm so surprised you said that <laughs> uh, if you were on the outside that um, you would have chosen a different course. And just that I'm thinking, Lewis was in the marbles at that point. He was carrying a lot of speed. He, know, he, he knew he had a nose ahead. So why not go ahead? And Because if he can uh, turn in a little bit on those marbles, get the car to start to rotate, he can carry that lead out through the rest of the corner. Um, you, you would not have chosen to do the same thing. Is that what you're saying? If, if there's a car next to me, I won't turn in because I'm going to hit that car. I've then, if I turn in whilst there's a car next to me, then I'm, I've made the decision to make contact. Until we get to the, oh, even if we get to the edge of the track, it's, as long as it's not a concrete wall, then you're not forced to turn in and make contact. Do you see what I mean? I just mean if if he hadn't turned in, I would 100% put the blame on Rosberg. It's purely because Hamilton turned the steering wheel. I know Rosberg, we can argue Rosberg should have also been turning the steering wheel and he didn't do it enough. But the fact <laughs> is there was a car next to Hamilton's car and by turning at the yeah. point he did, yeah. when he wasn't forced to turn yet, there was nobody on his left forcing him to turn. There was no concrete wall forcing him to turn. At the point he turned in, he then chose to make contact. And I think that caught Rosberg out because I think Rosberg was probably thinking in the same way that I, was, I would have been thinking is, whilst I'm here, I'm preventing him from turning in. But he turned in anyway. Matt. So the contact was made. I mean, I, I still think Rosberg should have acted differently. And like I said, I think he, if he turned in 10, 15 minutes earlier, he would have just come out. No, no him. wobbling allowed. You, you, you have cast your die, my friend. So I have three words for you. I have three words for you. At all times, at all times, you have you have to run your car on track. That is a requirement of the regulations. And if you look at, and this is this is the shot that kills me. If you watch most of the most of the reconstruction of that accident, Lewis looks like he has buckets of space left when he turns in. It's true, absolutely true. Wouldn't disagree with that at all. However, if you look at a shot of them coming through that turn, he turned about as late as he could and still keeping all four wheels inside the white line, which is his car's width, which is which goes back to where exactly is the edge of the freaking track. (laughs) You don't know because they won't tell us. Rosberg, 
literally, I think, would have driven to the edge of the track, come to a complete stop, and then gone on from there. <laughs> I think seat, so. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. I, I, I tell you why back. I will not be entirely on your side on this is because I don't think Hamilton was driving with the FIA's rules in mind. I think he was driving with Mercedes' rules in mind. And as, as viciously as Rosberg was going to try and deal with him, he probably, whatever their secret rules of engagement are that we don't know, probably expected Rosberg to turn at a point which let him keep all four wheels on the track. Oh. And he turned in at the latest point he felt that he could, expecting Nico to, to, to go along with whatever their secret rules were. Get anyway, Bradley back in on that, my... because I have to say, Bradley, you've, you've made an excellent case that some of the responsibility lies with Lewis, uh, but, but Matt has just swayed me back again. So, And, and to be fair, Look, I am very biased towards Hamilton. So. I, I do. I agree <laughs> with what you just said. I completely agree. Um, I, it's just purely a case of, I know you said at all times, and that's the key point. You, know, you have to stay within the white line or on, sorry, on the track at all times. But there, there can then be conflicts because... If there's a marshal stood that's preventing you from turning, do you drive through the marshal? I know I'm going to like a, I'm going to an extreme example. You're also not supposed to drive into other cars. You know, you're not supposed to make contact with other cars. So it's just about where that crossover point comes. Um, but I, I, tot- I understand all all sides of this, and I can see why each person made each decision they did, and I can see each person's viewpoint looking from the outside, and I can see why some people think it's completely Rosberg's fault. Um, and I just, I just don't want to you know i don't want to grab the pitchfork and the torch and go and and chase nico rosberg out of town because i think he was i think he was a little bit um treated a little bit too harshly for what hopefully i've I've explained didn't it never got to the point we never were permitted to see what the actual outcome would have been which uh, which would have been a position where i totally think he's in the wrong that that situation never played out because, as you mentioned, Hamilton turned in at probably the latest point he could have done, and staying on uh, to stay on the track. Yeah. But he actually still had lots of space, and I, so that's why I can see Rosberg. Anyway, hopefully that makes sense. No, speaking of pitchforks, no, you, that's a good description because when uh, when Alex Van Geen linked leaked, uh, sorry, Van Geen linked that leaked. Oh, I can't speak. Leaked that you were gonna possibly not be fully against Rosberg on that instant I had my pitchfork and flame ready uh you, you make a you make a reasonable case uh have you got time Matt come on what are you doing you're killing me legitimate time. overtaking maneuver you can't hinder a legitimate overtaking maneuver which is why <laughs> he had to have turned at that point sorry last point made international sporting code look it up Okay, yeah, no, fair enough. But my my thing that I two things that I will end this on is a Bradley, you're absolutely right that you should test, and in future we will do. We will test all of these rules by going to the extreme. The example of the marshal on the track that that's how you test a theory. Test it to breaking point, and then come back to where it actually works. So I think that's a, a great idea. The second thing was I'm not entirely convinced that Hamilton was trying to stick it round the outside. I think he may well have been looking to cut back in. Obviously, he never got a chance to do that with that very robust defence. Bradley, do you uh, have... And that's, that's why you hang someone out to drive. <laughs> yeah, to stop him doing that. Hamilton's going to try and get a cutback. So that, that, that's why he's done that. Anyway, Karen. Bradley, have you got time to stick around for a quick couple of minutes for a quiz to test you on your knowledge of Spa? Not you, let's everyone. Let's do it. Let's I'm going to get it. my uh, butt kicked, but let's do it. Oh. Oh, here we go. I forgot I faded that out earlier. Time for a quiz. Let's test your knowledge of Spa, where F1 will be back. How long is the track, Bradley? Sorry, I was on mute. Um, I don't know how long the track is. Then you don't get any points. Vortex, how long is the track at Spa-Francorchamps? 
Uh, 10 kilometers. Unacceptable in that unit of measure, which Matt leaves you with an open goal. Say any unit in miles and you get the points. It's about five miles, longest on this circuit. 4.3 miles. How long was it originally, Matt Trumpets? Ooh, it was like 12 or something. Any advance on 12? The closest gets the point, Bradley? Um, nine. Spot on. There's no room for Vortex to come in. Nine. So uh, as favoured guest, you get 30 points for that correct answer. What colour was Michael Schumacher's helmet at the 2012 Grand Prix commemorating his 300th Grand Prix? I think it was gold. Any advance on gold, Ken? Uh, gold is what I was going to guess. Matt? It was gold, but uh, MG5904 is now guessing in leagues for the length of the circuit. <laughs> I will also accept furlongs for the length of the circuit. Uh, no, he actually wore a silver one to commemorate his 300th GP. The gold one you're remembering was in 2011 to mark oh, his 20th perfect. year in F1. Uh, which... Uh, former Formula One champion used to keep a spanner in his car, uh, and uh, due to an incident at Spa. Stewart, Stewart. Yes, he yeah, did. I was say Stuart as well. Yeah, but you weren't quick enough. That's the way the quiz works. Randomly, sometimes I go to you, and Stuart. then sometimes it's quick fire. The marshals had no tools to help him getting out of this overturned BRM, and uh, they they had to go hunting. As I remember from the story, they had to go hunting and somebody's car had a toolkit in it and they gave him a spanner. So to avoid that, he taped a spanner to his steering wheel. Uh, uh, Where are we? Where are we? Where are we? we? Uh, Which driver made his Grand Prix debut for Jordan in 1991 at Schumacher. Spa. Schumacher. Schumacher. Bradley was quick on the mark there. He, I haven't lost track of the points. Who suggested but that? 57 points. No, I got that because Bradley was saying Ralph Schumacher. I said Michael no. Schumacher. Sure, <laughs> I will. Uh, your moxie, uh, unfortunately, loses you 77 points for disrespecting our honoured guest. Uh, it was a good attempt uh, <laughs> and well worthy of the quiz. Getting towards the end now. Who finished third last year? At Spa. Oh, Raikkonen. Any advance on Raikkonen? It's wrong. It's not Raikkonen. Trumpets. Ricciardo. Ricciardo. It's not Ricciardo. Bradley? Uh, Rosberg. Uh, Rosberg is closest alphabetically to Roman Grosjean. So, yes, you get the points there. Another 25 points. Well done, Bradley. Soaring into the lead. Oh. I can't believe I got 25 points for a wrong answer. That's amazing. Oh, well, it's just the way this completely consistent quiz works out okay the last belgium f1 driver to start a race was jerome d'ambrosio which current f1 driver was actually born in belgium verstappen there we go matt you get one point for that question which makes the winner of the quiz bradley (laughs) philpott on your first attempt congratulations bradley I, I have to say, I don't think that scoring system was entirely fair, but I'll take the win. Thank you. How dare you? <laughs> I invite you into my podcasting shed and you insult my scoring system. A, a double celebration for you, Bradley. Thank you. You've been more than generous for your time. Please, please, we'll leave you now to enjoy the evening with your fiance, who will definitely remain exactly as lovely during marriage and parenting as she is now. I hope so. And no. we, we hope you come back as well. I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. Just let me know the time and I'll come back. And I, obviously ho- hoping we didn't offend you too much with the, the Austria debates. We are up. We are want to sometimes disagree with people on this show. Not at all. It's all perfectly amicable. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Bradley. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Bradley. See you later. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Very generous with his time there. We we ran him way, way over time with our predictable, with our predictable... What's up, Matt? D. Wilson. Go on, read out the chat room comments. Go for it while I get Stephen's calling. Spanners should be a steward. Why? Uh, 
Well, from my consistency, I'm not, I'm not convinced. I'm, I'm not convinced that that's a compliment. <laughs> oh, and Catman's all right. Catman gave me the question about the helmet, and he's absolutely right. He was like, "I told you that, get him." Yeah, we tricked them, but I still believe I gave uh, people some points. Uh, what else is the chat room up to, Matt? Well, we wait for Chris Stevens. Uh, Chris Stevens? Ooh, no. Stephen Williams well, to call in. Well, after leagues, we've moved on to pecs or cables for measuring things. Yes. <laughs> um, and and pretty much everything else, aside from uh, aside from you being a steward, has been them answering the questions, usually more accurately than us. So, uh, Matt, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me at MattPT55. And if you should happen to be in the vicinity of Brooklyn this coming Tuesday, you can catch me live at Krupa Grocery with my trio actually playing in the flesh yes indeed fortis can attest to the magnificence of krupa grocery in terms of both food drink and music and i have to say we a big chunk of our audience is in the u.s so that's not as crazy as it sounds that you might get some crazy stalking ken where can people find you uh you can find me on twitter at vortex modio and I just want to say a quick thing about the uh, comments that Catman F1 said something very nice about our recently departed guest. He yeah. said, uh, Bradley has just eloquently put the position forward regarding the Austria incident that I have been trying to do all this time. Both drivers have a part in it. Well done, Bradley. I thought that was a really nice comment. Yes, but he was incorrect because it was ultimately Rosberg's fault and Hamilton was completely innocent. I mean, it's a shame. He made it was a good effort. He put his case across. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, no, he didn't quite do it for me. And, and Matt, you won me back with the fact that they are teammates. Um, but joining us on the line is Stephen Williams. Are you there, Stephen? Oh, I'm here. How are you? Yeah, give me give me a quick word because you've been doing the SpannersReady.com, www.spannersready.com, uh, driver driver rankings for the mid season, and you've got us in quite a bit of trouble yet again. Yeah, I thought that was the case with one of the articles. Um, yeah, so I've just been writing some articles ranking the drivers who are featured um, in this season. So we started off like in reverse order to build up to the big number one. Yeah. Which I... should be out at some point next week. And how um, many have you had out so far? Three, isn't it? Yeah, three so far. I think the fourth one will be tomorrow morning. So uh, in the second article, when I was posting about it on Twitter, I thought I'd have some fun doing some random clickbait. And, you know, I said, you know, you won't believe who's at number 15 just to randomly try and entice people to click. And... Guess who was at 15? Jensen Button. Stephen, you know how sensitive Jensen Button fans are. Yeah, in hindsight, I probably should have put him a lot higher, probably at number one. But um, it's just what I thought. And he's a bit slow, isn't he? A bit out of grip. Yeah. Um. <laughs> do you know what? <laughs> do do check out Stephen's articles. They're very well written, and uh, they certainly have caused much discussion on missed apex. And ultimately, the the discussion about them is more important than the actual numbers themselves. But uh, a very well put together series, Stephen. I can't wait to see Lewis Hamilton at number one of it. Of course, that is definitely the case. <laughs> okay, and where can people find you on Twitter? Um, on Twitter um, at swilliamsf one. Just follow me and make me happy. Make me famous. Good. All right, Stephen. Exactly. Uh, we'll see you later. I, I recommend that everybody go to www.w. How many W's was that? It was enough. There's three. SpannersReady.com. There's F1 News there. There's this podcast. And you can follow me at SpannersReady on Twitter. Until next time, wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex.
Okay, and obviously I forgot about comment of the week. But there is a comment of the week this week, and it's from D. Wilson. You just mentioned it. Spanners should be a steward. That's right. I should decide everything. Comment of the week. Speaking about ranking people, top guest we've had. Top guest we've had right up there. Top three. Oh, yeah. That was great. That was great. What to do? That, that's I, that's why I was super jazzed to have somebody like that. That driver's perspective of like, just like we we're talking a pre-show. It's not necessarily the rules; it's the enforcement, and you want to push it all the way to the edge. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 